Good morning. <clears throat> I invite you to open the Word of God this morning to the New Testament book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, our text this morning is verse 24 to 25. Today we come to the third sermon in our series, Community Matters. And we're considering today the fact that we are a gathered community. We've seen that we are to be a community that is created by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Last week we looked at the fact that, uh, the fact that the scripture instructs us that we are to be a growing community because of that gospel in our lives. And today we're going to focus on the fact that we're called to be present. We're called to be here. We're called to actively be involved in the lives of one another here in this church. Being a Christian means being in community with other brothers and sisters in Christ. And simply put, if you're not present, then how can we be involved? The text that we're looking at today, again, is the verses in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. And we'll read these together, but I want to step back and take two steps forward just and look at verse 19 to 27. And so we'll read that together. I would ask that you would stand, if you are able, out of reverence for God's word this morning as it's read. Hebrews chapter 10, we'll begin in verse 19 and read down to verse 27. <clears throat> Let us hear the word of the Lord this day. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Father, we confess our need of you this morning. We confess our need of Jesus Christ the Savior. And Father, as we come to your word, we likewise confess our need for your Holy Spirit. And so Lord, would you open your word and do what only you can do in our lives. Your word is living and active. Father, we pray in this time that you would take your word and cut us that you would 
heal us and strengthen us and encourage us from your word. Oh Lord, we pray, would you give us eyes to see and give us ears to hear. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. The book of Hebrews was written to encourage the church to remain faithful and to persevere in the faith. The author here of this book is writing to a church that primarily was made up of people who were Jews that were Christians. Gentiles would be present too to this congregation, but the majority were Jewish Christians. And in this amazing book, the author shows extensively how Christ is greater. Christ is more. Christ is greater than the angels. He is greater than Moses. He's greater than the tabernacle. He's greater than the priesthood. Christ is greater than the sacrificial system. Christ is better. He is the Savior. His sacrifice for sins is sufficient, and it's all that we need. The author labors these points in these chapters. The Old Testament sacrificial system is a shadow of the things to come. It points us to Christ. Chapter 10 focuses on this and how Jesus Christ is the true form of what was shadowed in the Old Testament. And that is the sacrifices that were offered continually and repeatedly were ultimately pointing forward to that once for all sacrifice in the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And that is our hope as Christians. We've seen how our lives are founded upon that. Our congregation, our unity is united upon the gospel and that is that we come confessing that we are sinners who have broken God's commandments. And we agree with God in this and we agree that we are deserving of punishment and praise God, we're able to come to the cross of Jesus Christ to receive forgiveness through the one who paid for our sins on the cross, the one who was raised from the grave. And so this book is all about pointing to this new life we have through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and his coming to this earth. The church that Hebrews was written to was being persecuted and pressured from the outside. They were being pressured by the society to walk away from the church. There were pressures that were there to seek them to not come to corporate worship. Ultimately, they were being pressured to walk away from their faith. And the temptation that was before them was to do just that. And so throughout this book, the author teaches about how great our salvation is and then he turns and he urges the church not to drift away from it. So he's teaching and he's likewise exhorting. He says, here is what we have in Jesus Christ and the need this church has was to persevere and remain faithful to that message. So we find passages exhorting us to not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We're to hold fast our original confidence firm to the end. We're called to grow up into maturity into him that is Christ. 
to draw near to God, to persevere, to run the race with endurance. And it's in this context that the author exhorts believers to remain faithful in gathering together, to not drift away from assembling. We see so clearly in these verses how we need each other, that we need one another. We're going to see how God has ordained the local church to be a means for our persevering in the faith, for our persevering in the faith. God calls us to encourage one another and to stir up one another as a means for bringing us safely home. If you glance here at these verses, we read from verse 19, if you just look at the Bible in front of you, uh, you'll see that the author is drawing a conclusion here in verse 19. He says, therefore, and that therefore grabs at least what has been said in chapter 10, and then he's going to summarize what he just said in verse 19 to 21. And he's saying, look, since we've come to God, not through the Old Testament sacrificial system, but through the blood of Jesus, our great high priest, we could summarize that and say, since the gospel is true, let us do these things. And he gives three exhortations in these verses. First in verse 22, do you see it there? The exhortation, let us draw near. Then in verse number 23, let us hold fast. And then in our text, verse 24, and let us consider. Because of the gospel, let us do these things. That is the flow of these verses. Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us draw near to God. Because of the gospel, let us hold fast our confession of faith, for he is faithful. And third, because of the gospel, let us consider one another. We're going to focus in on that third point, verse 24 and 25 this morning. There are two main points of instruction for us in these verses because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're to be about doing these two things. And the first is, in verse number 24, engage with one another. Because of the gospel and the truth of what Christ has done on the cross, we are to engage with one another. We see that in verse 24. In these verses, we see that we're to be moving towards one another, not drawing or withdrawing from one another. Instead of separating in our lives, we are to be connecting. All of these commands that we see are us. Let us, let us, let us. They're given to us as a congregation. And the main verb of this command here in verse number 24 is to consider. We're called to consider. Now, what is it that we are to consider? Well, the text says we're to think about how to stir up one another. To stir up is a very strong word. We could also translate this word to provoke, to provoke others. The only other time that this word is used in the New Testament is in Acts 15, verse 39, where Paul and Barnabas had a stirring up incident. Barnabas wanted Mark 
to go on this missionary trip with them, but Paul said, absolutely not. They couldn't come to an agreement and a sharp provoking arose. It said there, a sharp disagreement is how it is uh, translated there. It's our same word here for stirring up. A sharp stirring up happened between them. And you might be thinking, well, great. I always knew I had the spiritual gift of provoking other people. And right here in this text, I'm commanded to do just that, provoke others. This is perfect. Well, just hold on. We know what the rest of the verse says. As we can see in the text, we're called to provoke one another to something. What are we called to provoke one another to? To love and good works. So this verse is calling on us to engage with one another in the church, to think, to consider with our minds how we can stir up one another to doing good things. You see, the context of the application directly from these verses is the other people sitting in here with us. The application is for us to consider again as we're seeing in this series of Community Matters so many times that we could just look around us. The application of these verses is for our relationship to other people here at Redeeming Grace. There are at least two things I think that we need to see from this verse, verse number 24. And that's the first, the first thing is to be intentional. Be intentional. The text, again, what's the main verb of this text? The text commands us to consider. That is aimed directly, first and foremost, to our minds. For us to mentally think about other people in the church and how we can stir them up to good things, to live biblically. We should learn from this that interacting with other believers doesn't always happen spontaneously, right? These things don't just happen. Yeah, they do sometimes. They happen sporadically. But the text is calling on us to think hard about how we can be involved in one another's lives, so we need to actually sit down and ponder, applying this text, how can I literally stir up so-and-so? Here's a person that I'm in rea uh, reacting with that, that, that I know. How can I stir them up? Maybe it's, again, somebody that you already know you're in a relationship with. Maybe it's somebody that you will meet, that you need to meet and need to know. So we need to stop and think, how can I stir them up? How can I provoke them to love and good works? Is there something that we can do together to help someone else? Is there someone we can visit and encourage together? Is there someone who needs a friend that my friend and I can invite to join us in doing something? Is there someone in my home group, someone in my equip class, somebody that we can join together, one another, getting together and connecting for the purpose of stirring up to good things? We need to hear this command. Why? Because we're so prone in our sinfulness to not think of others, but to think of ourselves. We're so prone just to look out for our own good and to think, what do I want to do and what is good for me and how can other people help serve me? 
How can they make my life better and do the things that I think need to happen? No, the text here is calling on us to not think about ourselves, but to think about the good of others. Not consider our own self, but to consider them. See, we many times are too individualistic and non-committal with others. Instead of having an eye to encourage someone else, again, our eye is on ourself and our wants and our desires. And so the text, hopefully we see here that the text is calling on us to slow down, think of somebody else, and, and just frankly, you could even think of somebody in your mind right now that you know that you have in a relationship, and to think, how can I stir them up to spiritual good? How can I encourage them to grow in their faith? How can I encourage them to love? Expressing love in their life and good works and good deeds. How can I express, help them grow in that? How can I encourage them in that? You see how general the application is in this text. He's not getting too specific. He's just saying the interaction is to be there and it's to go to love and good works. That's a very general thing, right? The rest of the Bible and New Testament fills in those blanks of what love and good works are and what they are about and we're to be about helping each other grow in that. I'm so thankful for this church. I'm so thankful for you all and I'm so encouraged and thankful for this that happens in this congregation things that as, as on a pastoral staff that we see many many things of course that we do not of seeing how other people intentionally seek to get involved in the lives of others to grow in the faith if you're doing that this morning I just want to encourage you and hopefully you see from God's word where you're instructed again to do this and you're encouraged on that and just encourage you to not grow weary in doing good. Continue in this obedience, continue to do that, be faithful to do that and even do it all the more. If you're not presently doing this, I pray that you would see your need this morning to be involved in other people's lives here in this congregation. And to be intentional about it. To be intentional about it. To pull the trigger on making it happen. First thing we see, our need to be intentional. Second thing for us to see from these verses is be willing to provoke and be willing to be provoked. Right? Be willing to provoke and be willing to be provoked. The call in this text is reciprocal. It's mutual. Nobody in this congregation has arrived to the point where they are the master provoker that is to provoke everybody else and they've arrived to a point where they don't need to be stirred up themselves. No, we each need to be doing this for others and allowing it to likewise be done to ourselves. It's really the contrast of pride and humility. And that really begins to rise to the surface when the rubber starts meeting the road on these verses. It's a contrast of pride and humility. It can go something like this. Hey, I'm gonna be taking a meal to this family who just had a baby. Would you wanna join me in taking a meal to them? 
I'll do this, you do that, and the other person can think, well, <laughs> what do they think? Just because I didn't sign up on the sign-up sheet that I'm not being faithful in my Christian walk, how dare they bring that up in my life? Right, this is an example of just pride showing up in our life. Hey, would you like to get together to read a passage of scripture? Or would you like to talk about the equip class or get together and talk further about the sermon or read through a book or portion of the scripture? Oh, I know what you're doing. <laughs> you must be thinking that you're more mature than I am because you're coming to me asking me if I want to read and study this. <laughs> I've been a Christian longer than you have and you're gonna come and try to stir me up and provoke me? You see, when you throw pride into the mix of this, things don't go really well at all. Throw pride into the mix of anything, it's gonna ruin the cake. So pride can destroy this. The call for us is to see our need to provoke and be provoked to love and good works. We're to be humble people who are prepared to encourage and be encouraged by others and with humility to open yourself up to being provoked to love and good deeds. I pray that we would get to the point in our lives where we long for this to happen, where we are thankful when other people come to encourage us, whether that's encourage us in a positive way of a path that we're going that is good or to encourage us, exhort us in something that, we are do, that we're doing that is not good and that is wrong. And for us to realize our need for one another to help us do that, to not just do that individually. Second thing we're instructed to do in these verses because of the gospel goes right along with this and that is be present and involved with one another. Be present and involved with one another. Engage with one another. Be present and involved with one another. How can we fulfill any of these commands if we're not physically present? Verse 25 has a negative positive statement. Don't do this, but do this. Let's look at each one of those. First, don't neglect corporate worship. Don't neglect corporate worship. The text says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. This participle here, not neglecting, is sort of an explanation and imperative all at the same time. It's explaining how we are to stir up one another. It's also giving us a command. Don't neglect meeting together. He's telling us to not neglect assembling together, i.e. corporate worship. Even in the early church, there were those who are slacking off in their church attendance. As the text says, as is the habit of some. Some were beginning to neglect the gathering and coming together of brothers and sisters in Christ. And you see, the point of the matter is that the New Testament knows nothing of a believer in Christ that chooses not to attend a local gathering of believers. There's no category for optional church attendance. Right? In fact, if we were to flip over to the book of 1 John, one of the main signs of a false teacher being false 
is that they didn't stay and remain in the local congregation. Listen to what it says there, 1 John 2, 19. Now follow him here because he does a, a little bit of this. He's speaking about these. He's actually speaking about the Antichrist, the little a Antichrist. Verse uh, uh, 2, verse 19. He says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they were not all of us. You see, they're going out from the church was a sign to show that they were ultimately not part of the church. For if they were part of the church, what would they have done? They would have, have continued with the church. They would have remained with the church. They would have persevered in the faith. The point of the matter is fish live in water. They can only survive for so long out of the water. This doesn't mean, right, that as Christians that we are saved by coming to church. It doesn't mean that. You can take a cat and you can hold it under water and that does not make it a catfish, <laughs> right? But a fish, a fish lives in the water. That is where it lives, that is where it breathes, that is where it moves, and so it is with believers. We are saved and we are saved into the body of Christ. And that is where believers live. The second part of the command is put in the positive. So not neglecting to be involved in each other's lives. Be involved in each other's lives. The opposite of neglecting is encouraging. And the call for us is to be about encouraging one another. Again, who is the one another? Who is this referring to? Are we to encourage non-believers and people outside of the church? Absolutely not. Just Christians, right? It only applies to Christians. No, of course we are, right? Of course we're to be encouraging other people. But specifically in this text, what is it talking about? It's talking about other brothers and sisters in Christ. In other words, it's talking about this. Swivel your head, that's what it's talking about. It's talking about one another, each of us. That's the application of these verses. And again, quite simplistically, how can we encourage each other if we're not around each other? How can you do that? How can you encourage one another if you're not around each other? I encourage them. I like to post on Facebook. Isn't that enough? That's encouraging, right? Or I said, well, yeah, good job doing that. Right? No, how can, if we're not present with each other, how can we encourage somebody? How can, we, how can you be a part of someone's life and exhorting them to faithfulness if you're not with them? It simply can't happen. That's a pretty base thing for us to see from this text but it drastically needs to be said in fact none of these commands can happen if you're not here if you're not involved in each other's lives beyond here even beyond the preaching all of the one another commands of the new testament cannot be fulfilled if you're not present 
and if you're not involved with other people. The text here says that we're to be doing this all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do you notice there in your text that part that says the day? Did you see that the D in that day is capitalized? That's because it's referring to a specific day. The day when Jesus Christ returns and judges the world. In other words, the reality of the end time should cause us to be at church and encouraging one another all the more. The return of Christ should spur us on to doing that, to further spur one another on to love and good deeds and to encourage one another in the faith and be present in one another's lives. As we draw closer to the end, we should also draw closer to one another. This church in Hebrews that was receiving, uh, uh, we even see in verse number 34 here, they were receiving the plundering of their goods for following Christ. Bad things were happening to them for following Christ. There, there was persecution, they're slight and sporadic and sometimes bad, but it was, it was there in the community. And the pressure on them would be, well, let me not associate with these people so that rough things don't happen to me. You know, we're not in that position we're not in that position right now. Sadly enough, it's, it's all of the uh, quote-unquote blessings and the stuff that we have to be involved with that distracts us from gathering together with one another. The fact, the clear, simple fact of the return of Jesus Christ, and as that day draws nearer and nearer and nearer, and it's drawing nearer and nearer and nearer because your breath is running out and out and out, and you're going to one day die and you're going to meet him. As that is happening, all the more let us join together with one another. So the end times should cause us as followers of Jesus Christ to connect more with one another, not less. We see this dynamic in the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter also, as you know, was a book that uh, there was persecution taking place. And in 1 Peter 4, 7-9, listen to what he instructs there. And listen to this connection that he has. He says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. So those are the verses from 1 Peter. And I love it. Peter says, look, the end is close. Jesus, the return of Jesus Christ could come at any time. Therefore, love one another. Love each other because of the coming of Christ. And I love what he says next. The end is at hand. Show hospitality to one another. The end is coming. Get together. Get together, have other people over. No doubt this is referring to a meal. That's gotta be a part of this hospitality thing of getting together. Don't you just love that instruction? God's word is so practical. The end is coming. You better get together. You better get to love one another and you better eat together and you better show hospitality with one another. And I love the little comma, without grumbling. Right? That says a whole lot. We need to be instructed, right? Get together, show hospitality. Have people, I don't wanna 
have people. No, don't do that. Encourage one another, love one another, get together. Why? Because the end is coming. Why does the New Testament do this? Why does the New Testament speak about the return of Christ and then make application for us being together and loving one another? Why does it do that? Because God has so ordained the local church and our fellowship with one another to help us persevere in the faith. Our being together as brothers and sisters in Christ is for our good. The encouragement we gain from one another and the scriptures and the ordinances and the singing and the praying and the stirring up, it all aids and comes together in our good for persevering. I mean, I, I couldn't help, obviously I knew what was coming in the sermon this morning and so I'm thinking about it uh, as we're singing and we're coming through and we're singing It Is Well With My Soul and just being impacted and it always helps when that's like one of your favorite songs of all time. But being, being impacted by the words of that and being impacted by singing that together. Does it not encourage you when we gather together to join to hear other people singing those same things? My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Right, it is well to hear other brothers and sisters in Christ that are in that same boat singing that and you say, yes, yes. And that aspect likewise is encouraging to us. It's encouraging us to persevere in the faith and we need it. That's why verse 26 comes and says what it says. Verse 26 follows right on the heels of this verse. It's speaking about if you continue to walk away, you're on a path that leads to destruction. You're on a path that leads to destruction. On a path that says something about sin in your life when you're starting to steer away from the local body of believers and steer away from church. That saying something about sin in your life and you beginning to go down a path that if you continue to walk that path ultimately leads in destruction. And so absence many times is, is a portal to sin in our lives of being apart from brothers and sisters in Christ, of neglecting to meet together where it's just the evidence of sin that is ongoing in our lives. And so we decide to disengage from other brothers and sisters in Christ. So God has so brought about our being together of one another to help us persevere in the faith. God's word is calling on each of us to be present and to be involved in each other's lives. Three points of conclusion here from this text. There are many things that we could say, just at least three final things that have already been said, but just to say them again. Number one, church attendance is a means God uses to persevere us in the faith. Church attendance, again, we're not saying here that 
A cat can turn into a catfish just by walking into this building, right? We're not saying that if you just come to church, that means you're a Christian. The Bible has a lot of things to say about those who come and claim the name of Christ but are not a part of Christ. But what we are saying here, it's nothing less than that. And church attendance is a means that God uses in our lives to persevere us in the faith. So many people treat coming to church like they treat a ball that they are juggling. Life's, life gives us many things to jungle. Jungle. <laughs> Juggle, right? There's a, life is a jungle. Da, da, da. But right, life gives us many things to juggle. Many, many things, right? We are busy people. Life gives us a lot of things to juggle in our lives. And, and by the way, these guys were busy in the book of Hebrews too, right? These guys were busy here. When, just consider the fact that there was not a microwave here and think of how busy you would be. And there's not these machines that do your clothes for you. You're busy. These guys are working sun up to sundown. They're busy. We've always been busy. There's many things for us to juggle. And when life gets busy, many people just take the ball of church attendance and they just... They let it drop. So it seems to me these other things are more important. I'll just let church attendance drop and they neglect it. They neglect it. Brothers and sisters, I beg you, don't neglect corporate worship. It is a means that God uses in our lives to persevere us in the faith. Don't neglect this gathering of believers. It is one of the God-ordained means of grace in your life to bring you safely home, to help you persevere and endure. Young people here this morning, would you likewise hear this exhortation? Do not neglect corporate worship. Realize that coming to church is a matter of obedience to God. Don't just think of it as an obligation from your parents to come here. Although we thank God for that. View it as a need in your life. And those of you that are going off to college or are in college, can you see what the scripture says about your need to be a part of church? To be a part of a local gathering? Don't neglect it. Don't fall away from it. If you so happen to move away from here, those of you in high school now and middle school and come in, if you so happen to move away from here and go to school somewhere else in college or move away from here to begin work, find a local church and be active in it. As an elder, some of the best words that we hear are this. Pastor, I'm going to such and such a town for college. Do you have a church there that you would recommend? Our souls are delighted and jump when we hear such things. All right, let me be blunt here. The devil, I'm still speaking directly here, first, first high school and college. Right, the devil would love nothing more than for you to neglect corporate worship. The devil would love nothing more than for you to think, well, I can go to school and to college and I'm gonna focus on my studies and I'm gonna take the church attendance ball and I'm just gonna drop it and when I'm in my 20s, 
When I get settled back down, I'll pick that ball back up and I'll just, I'll just keep juggling it there. I'll just take this time of my life and set that aside and there's more important things and there's gonna be things pulling on you from all these different directions, things to do, friends that are gonna pull in your life. Would you hear God's word this morning? Don't neglect corporate worship. Just look at the numbers. People that go in in college and they walk away from the church, most of them never come back. Who are we to presume upon the grace and kindness of God to think that he will stir in our lives if we neglect him for this amount of time? The point of the matter is don't neglect corporate worship. May each of us realize, all of us realize our need for one another and that this is a God-ordained means to persevere us in the faith. Second point we see here, be present to encourage and be encouraged by others. At a very base level, just your presence of being here this morning encourages other people, right? That's, a, that's like going into the classroom, right? Present, right? Well, good, you get an attendance grade. You showed up and you're alive, right? That's good. Same thing here, at a very base level, just our being present encourages us. If you don't agree with that, Uh, imagine what it would be like next week to come to corporate worship and it be you and one other person sitting down right here and nobody else showed up. Probably wouldn't be too encouraging. It wouldn't be too encouraging for us tonight at the special called members meeting if we gather together tonight at six o'clock. Is that six o'clock? Plugging that in. At six o'clock and there'd be five people. How encouraging would that be? Would that be real encouraging? Absolutely not, right? Part of our just showing up and being here encourages other people. Again, of course there is more to it than that. But physically being here is necessary. It's not sufficient, it's not all that there is, but it's necessary. Each of us need to be involved in each other's lives and that has to happen by first of all being present. Pastor Adam next week in the message is going to speak about moving on from this. The point that that we're involved in one another's life and what that looks like. That's coming next week of of extensively looking at how we can be involved in the lives of discipling and discipleship in the life of this church. But the point to be made here is you must be present for that to happen. If you're not present and involved in other people's lives, here at Redeeming Grace Baptist Church, you are not living in obedience to God's word. If you're not present and involved with other people, how can we be living in obedience to this command and many, many others in the Bible? How can we be obedient to this instruction for not even involved with one another. R.C. Sproul said, and he says a lot of things great, and this is one thing he said, it is both wicked and foolish to suppose that we will make much progress in sanctification if we isolate ourselves from the visible church. 
we're to be present in one another's lives, speaking words of encouragement, of exhortation, of showing care and showing concern for one another. This can't just happen by merely just being here and then running over people on the way out never to see them again until you might say hi and sit down and run out the next week and never be involved in other people's lives. We have to be present and church is more than just preaching and singing. Church is more than that. It's not less. We have to be involved with one another. Right? This isn't just a preaching station to come and to hear something and then move on. Kind of like you hear a, a podcast of somebody a, a preaching. Yeah, that was great. You're not a part of that church. You just listen to it and go on. No, we're called to be a part of one another. We're called to interact with one another. It's one of the beautiful things about seeing each other talk and fellowship in our time here. After church, before church, throughout the week. All of that is necessary for us to be able to speak into one another's lives. Be present. Be present to encourage and be present to be encouraged by others. And lastly this morning, being able to come to church is a gift from God. You being able to be here this morning is a gift of God. Salvation is a gift from God. And so is the ability to come to church. You know how it is when you take things for granted. When you don't realize how important something is until it's taken away from you. Right? You never know how important your back is until it goes out. Right? You never know how important your general health is until you struggle with it. Then it makes you realize and be how grateful and thankful you are for that being there just think about church membership in the same way and being able to be present here it is a gift from God some of the most tear-filled visits I've ever made as a pastor over the years are visiting with older members who are in their home who can't come to church and visiting with dear saints of God and seeing them literally cry as they say, Pastor, I want to come to church. I want to come to church. I, want to, I miss it. All my life I've been able to come to church and now I'm not able. For me as a pastor to sit there and say and try to share the grace of God and say, God knows your heart. God knows your heart that if you would be here, you would. God knows that. God knows that. Take comfort in that and realize that you are missed. And you walk away from visits like that. Man, and you think, how amazing and blessed I am to be able to be a part of a congregation like this. To be able to have brothers and sisters in Christ like you. Right? It's a gift from God we might not be able to come next week in his little book Life Together Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote about this reality 
It's a reality, of course, he knew well, living in Nazi Germany and being there in the 1940s and all that entailed in Nazi Germany and with the rise of power of the Nazi and their uh, oppression uh, coming upon the church and they're seeking to uh, uh, dismantle it of any that would profess the name of Christ. So he knew this all too well in his own life. And in this book, here's what he says about the fact that church is a gift from God. Just listen to it. He says, it is true, of course, that what is an unspeakable gift of God for the lonely individual is easily disregarded and trodden underfoot by those who have the gift every day. It's easily forgotten that the fellowship of Christian brethren is a gift of grace, a gift of the kingdom of God that any day may be taken from us. That the time that still separates us from utter loneliness, loneliness may be brief indeed. Therefore, let him who until now has had the privilege of living a common Christian life with other Christians Praise God's grace from the bottom of his heart. Let him thank God on his knees and declare, it is grace, nothing but grace, that we're allowed to live in community with Christian brethren. May we say the same thing. Being able to be here is a gift of grace It's a gift of God. Let us not neglect it. Let's pray. Father, we so thank you for your word that speaks to us. And Father, I pray if nothing else from this message and from these verses that you would so impress upon our hearts our need to be be present and to be active in one another's lives. Father, would we have a firm commitment to do that this day and help us to see the blessings of it. Lord, help us to not neglect it in our lives. Father, would you forgive us in our lives for when we just kind of take the ball of coming to church and the blessing that that is and we just disregard it and push it to the side. Father, would you forgive us of that sin, Lord, and we pray that you would stir us up to be present and to be involved in one another's life to the praise of our King Jesus. It's in his name that we pray, amen.